Welcome to the third episode of VSTML 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is offering suggestions and keeps being ignored, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Sorry, what? Good afternoon. And the guy who has massive diva issues, David Bindley. I'm going to eat my bed. This episode was a mess. Yes, it was. The best kind of mess. I came into this episode, and I think we may have discussed this, Bindles, knowing full well that this is one of the messiest Vidim episodes ever. Yep. Especially with that ending. I can't believe we lost We lost Horus! Horus is gone! And for the second execution in a row, this one was actually spoiled to Logan. Because I seem to remember during Horus's reappearance in Vidim Renaissance, I said that he had a curse of going out in the third episode. Yeah, well, I did my best to not go back to Renaissance clips so that I could be mildly surprised as to when Horace goes. I knew it was really soon. I didn't know if it was this episode or one of the next two. I know he didn't make it far. No, we did actually discuss him always only going out in episode three. But that one's a little bit more understandable than Bindle's spoiling Hannah's execution when we recorded that probably about a month and a half ago. Peter Yarn doesn't even spoil Hannah's execution to people who didn't watch last week at the start of this episode. He so no-sells it. I, I love Peter Yarn. It, it's just like, he's trying to basically talk about Hannah's execution, and the entire thing is about Anna. Yeah. Hannah is genuinely one of the most inconsequential people who's ever been on Vidim, I think. Yeah. I think you could say that about a lot of first boots from Vidim, though. You could say that about one of the malls. Well, yeah. I don't think we've ever actually talked about someone going home first from the vein of the most famous person in the cast, other than Hannah and Anna, respectively. But yeah, the whole clip with Peter Yan is just him saying, well, Hannah was stunned, but now let's look at Anna, who doesn't have her exemption and no longer had it for episodes three and five. Yeah, she still has one for five, but she did lose her episode three one. And luckily, Horace was still in, so it didn't really matter all that much. True, there was enough dead weight for her. So previously, the ten candidates continued through El Salvador and pitched themselves in dating profiles where art made Patrick look suspicious. Yan was the hero at the laser game, securing the group some money before a game of Spot the Difference saw a lot of potential saboteurs emerge. At the execution, Hannah had extra motivation, having an exemption for episode three if she could get through it, but she was the first to see a red screen this season. Poor Hannah. Anyway, <laughs> PTN says Hannah had a <laughs> PTN says that Hannah bid a sad goodbye to the group, especially sad for Anna, potentially because she would have been given the exemption for episode three. PTN says this episode will come down to the creativity of the contestants and resourcefulness of them all. And the episode title is Divide and Conquer. Verdil in Hears. Bless you. Sundas says she has a top four. Patrick, Art, Pepine, and Anna. If it ends up being someone like Miriana, she will eat her bed. This game is so confusing that she woke up thinking that maybe she was them all. She probably <laughs> wished she had a water bed, then she could just drink her bed. Just get a couple, you know, get a couple like Brita water filter jugs, and uh, I'm sure it'd be perfectly fine to drink. All right, Posh Saunders. Some of us drink out the tap. <laughs> I always go, whenever I'm over at somebody's house, I always ask, oh, do you happen to have one of those Brita filter jugs by chance, or do you just, oh, okay, you just drink it out of the tap. Okay. Yeah. 
This podcast is not sponsored by Britta, but we hope it will be soon. And the only other person we hear from before the first challenge is Art, who says that you forget there are things outside of the game when playing them all, but the scenery is beautiful. I'm always waiting for Art to be the one who narrates the intro into Peter Yan. Art should just try and do it and then just have Peter Yan come on screen and say, Hey, hey, you've still, I, I've still got one year left in me. So Peter Yan meets them in a market and asks for four people who like to stick around and five who like to look the part. Yan says he didn't have a clear preference, but sometimes you just want to keep an eye on your mole. The four who like to stick around, Art, Yan, Pepine, and Karen, are sent away, leaving the five who like to look the parts, Patrick, Anna, Miriana, Sundos, and Horace. Miriana, she only gets one confessional this whole episode, I think. Other than Sandos referencing that she'd eat her bed if Mariana was the mole, we we don't hear from her at all. I keep thinking, am I mixing up her appearance with Anna's? But then I keep going back, and nope, nope, it's just another another Anna confessional. Nah, you don't hear a lot from Mariana for however long she's in here. It is interesting looking at this after three episodes, because you can tell who the big characters of the season are. Because you have a lot of stuff from Art, who obviously is built up to become the new host. You hear a lot from Sundos, because she gives great confessionals. You hear a lot from Anna, because she's the most famous person in the season. And Patrick. Yeah, and you hear a lot from Patrick, who also gives good confessionals. But people like Miriana, and even Pepine, you don't really hear a lot from. No, they only reference Pepine if it's if it's about his magician or clowning background. That's all yeah. it's been through the first three rounds. Well, he's so short, they probably don't even notice he's there. Yeah, they got to raise the microphone. Obvious question, is Pepine shorter than you, Bindles? I don't know. I'm going to have to look up how tall he is. Because as we established last episode, Horace is apparently six foot two. Yeah, bullshit. So Pepine must be really small. So Horace is short by, by Dutch standards, then. Horace is not six foot two. Pete Ian's about 6'5". Did Horace reach 6'2 in uh, New York City, USA, Netherlands? So Mariana is intimidated by this challenge. And then we move on from her. (laughs) So Pete Ian tells the group of five that they have to paint an authentic Salvadorian mural on the walls of a building in the village of Otaco, which is famous for its murals. An expert will be coming later, and they have to make it indistinguishable to the experts. The other four are taken on a bus ride with Peter Yan and asked to pick one of four Dutch icons, Rembrandt, Queen Beatrix, Johan Cruyff, and of course Peter Jan Hagens. And uh, they left the rest of it out with the rest of the choices they could make because there was Jesus Christ, Osama Bin Laden, Horatio Nelson, the Trix mascot. Just a diseased elm. <laughs> I didn't realise that Napoleon was Dutch. The more you know. So, Art originally suggests Johan Cruyff, and they debate using Peter Yan as it'd be fun, but settle on Queen Beatrix. He then shows them all four, and tells them to make sure that the other candidates can recognise their picture of Beatrix when they arrive, and they have to use paper sheets to replicate the painting that they've been shown. I love that we got to see all four of the, the portraits, and some of them were reasonably close to what the person looks like. Like, I think they basically just took a photo of Peter Jan Hagens and just pixelated it. Yeah, I can tell you exactly what that picture is, because it's his promo picture from Japan. So they've taken that photo, which was reasonably decent quality, and, you know, they kept the background and everything. 
and then Queen Beatrix doesn't even look human. No, she looks like Princess Leia. Yeah. So Anna takes control of the Mayoral group. She says she's quite good at Bob Rossing, apparently. And Sundos feels left out. She's offering suggestions and being ignored. Bob Ross has been a big deal in pop culture for a long time. Yeah, given that I don't think Bob Ross was even on Dutch TV, I don't know where she's got the reference from. Maybe Horace told her about him? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but... I mean, the Miura group is not the important one here. It's the, the pixelation group that's the fun one. Because we cut to Jan saying that Karen was a failure on Lex. <laughs> as soon as she stood on the ladder, everything went wrong. She does her bit of the pattern completely wrong. She essentially gets sad out of this challenge. <laughs> yeah, Karen's confessionals are few and far between, but are always very entertaining. Yeah, they all just look at what she's doing. They're thinking, yeah, she's she's Karening this up. And she even asked to speak to Peter Yan when they were being mean to her. <laughs> yeah. And she says that it's normal that she rushes into things, so her completely messing up is not a surprise. It's just ex- anything, any showing of competence is a reward for the rest of the group. The group will find that suspicious. I mean, we talk about Karen being basically set out of this challenge, but Sundos is basically set out of the other challenge. I'm talking to you and none of you is responding. <laughs> she volunteers to paint a flower, even though she's got no artistic talent. <laughs> yeah, just a random, I'm just going to paint this flower over here. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe the confessional of the episode goes to Horace when he says that he doesn't have any artistic talent either, but he sticks to the big bits, and he claims that she has, quote-unquote, diva issues. If Soundos had her passport on her right then, I'm sure she would have been painting that flower on a wall in Nicaragua. And, uh, oh yeah, when Art also was making fun of Karen too, he said, it wasn't slightly wrong, it was completely wrong. And Karen describes art as being very provocative. (laughs) Like, this is the point of the season where everybody hates each other. And they didn't even have to do a chain gang. No, they're just really getting on each other's nerves now. And it's delicious. Chain gang would have been a safety issue because if anybody had enough slack, they would have just used a chain to strangle one of the other candidates. I would have loved to see them try Chengang with this season because, as Peter Yan said in the first episode, it's literally a war zone in El Salvador. So the locations they could have picked would have been very entertaining. They could have finally actually topped Francis Chengang in the middle of a lion pit. We're going to stick them in the middle of a war zone. Now, if you take the exemption, you and everybody else who's left on the chain has to spend the night sleeping on these landmines and we'll fix it in the morning. Or just defuse them for us. We need to have a clear path. So all of you experiment, if whoever gets through, we're going to copy that path tomorrow. It's literal Minesweeper. Actually, I better not say that Papa Bear will get some ideas. I've already done it in Australia. Yeah, but you know as well as I do, Papa Bear would love to do some paint bomb Minesweeper. Yeah. Oh no, not Nella's leg. <laughs> Just use Nella's leg and uh, Anka's elbow as props. So everyone turns against Yan because he's acting suspiciously, and he says in confessional that art tends to order people around in a very militaristic way, and they're not in kindergarten anymore. And it must really annoy Anna because, as as we've proven, that she's a ringleader. She shouldn't be letting anyone else lead these tasks, regardless of whether she's actually there or not. Like art is being forced to step up because Anna just is slacking in her ringleader duties. And the Beatrix painting starts to look really, really bad. It starts to run, it turns into one big blot. Yeah, because they're in Central America in rainy season. The heavens open. 
and it becomes even more of a mess. Yeah, the the heavens open and it starts raining cats and sound dogs. It's definitely not the situation in which I sort of imagined wet yarn appearing. So Anna's volcano is pretty, and they notice that all the murals are signed, so they sign it using the name of Miriana's boyfriend, Gus. Of course, we don't actually get any sort of reference to Gus in the episode, we don't even really hear Miriana say that her boyfriend is called Gus, we just see it after the mural's finished. I wonder if he really likes German beer. Yeah. So they finish their respective paintings and swap locations, the billboard team have to identify the other candidate's mural, and the mural team are taken to the billboard. If they identify who the billboard is of, they win a thousand euros. So the billboard team identify a mural which is unfinished, and Mariana suggests Beatrix on a whim, and that means that they somehow earn a thousand euros for the challenge. And Horace suggested it was Elvis, or Euroan as Elvis. Yeah, at this point nobody even really knows who Euroan is, but still they suggest him just in case. I mean, everyone knows that Vidim Production love inserting Euroan into a season, whether they need to or not. Yeah, at least, uh, at least with Horus, he suggested royalty, since we had Queen Beatrix and Elvis is the king. And Horus is angry and confessional about Peter Yan lying to him about an expert being a thing, but they did too good a job and won no money for that part of the challenge. I don't know how I feel about that twist, because it became, make your mural as indistinguishable from the rest, and an expert will come by and you'll win money. And instead it gets flipped to, it'll be the other team trying to pick out a mural, and if they do pick yours, then you do earn money. Yeah, it's hard, because they've done the basic art challenge before, where it's like, fool the expert to win some money, and then get the other group to find it to win more. But this feels a little bit different, and it's not quite as good. Yeah, because I, I assumed, while this task was going on, I was thinking, oh, I bet that the other group will be the ones judging the murals, they'll be the experts. So there's quite the emphasis on there being experts coming by. Yeah. But I thought I thought it was a bit mean that it was just, oh, you know how you thought you are supposed to earn money? No, it's going to be the exact opposite of that. And there's no way for you to prepare for it. I lied to you. I'm Peter Yan. I'm a fucking liar. Given that they only knew they had to fool the expert. I think Patrick's strategy of putting the, the wrong year on the on the painting, that's actually a pretty good one. I don't think a lot of other mole groups would have thought of that. And we also saw that it directly caused them to discount the mural straight away. Yeah. Although they, they did eventually pick a work in progress, even though Papine basically ran his finger over it and realised the paint wasn't wet. So presumably if they could have done that, they could have done that with all the other ones and realised that that one was, you know, had only just been done about 20 minutes earlier. Yeah, he could have touched their their painting and said, oh, look at my hand, I just blew myself. I'm going to have to go and wash this flower off. So PTN meets him in the afternoon and tells him that they have a chance to earn another €2,500 for the pot. In 90 minutes, there'll be a performance in Otako's Sound Square, a performance by them. If they get 200 spectators, they will earn 1,000 euros, and then will earn an extra 5 euros for every person who appears above 200. They must perform 15 minutes, and people must applaud at the end. And they get $100 to buy their supplies with. Can we appreciate that the other group, that the painting group, was able to identify Queen Beatrix? Oh yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. And accidental. I don't know that they would have been able to... um identify Rembrandt even if they did paint it perfectly. Like, who the hell knows what Rembrandt actually looks like? No, like, Peter Yan probably was the best choice, because yeah. if you get the picture right, 
it's very, very obvious who it is. And also, he's right there in front of you. Yeah, there would have been a brilliant comedy moment of them going, is it you, Peter? Me? Could it be? The most famous person in all of the Netherlands. I also sort of love the idea in my headcanon that it was Peter Yan who asked to be included in that challenge. <laughs> it should have just been, instead of other famous Dutch people, it should have just been all previous mole hosts that they had to choose from. Yeah, but at that point it was only three people, was it? It was just uh, Angela Carroll and Peter Yan by that point. Yeah, it's still a selection of three. Yeah, but you, you couldn't really do Carroll as a billboard because he's basically like, you know, a thumb with eyeballs. <laughs> And the picture that they would pick for Angela would have to be her doing Private Dancer. Yeah, which hadn't happened by this point. Yeah, and I'm not sure you'd be able to identify Angela from her grinding on a table and people pretending to throw notes at her. So Arsa Miriana speaks Spanish, so lead the audience groups, and they go with Jan and Karen respectively to round people up. The other five work on the performance. And of course, Pepine's first instinct of what to do is a floating act. Good news, they can you know get an entire tank of water in there. Apparently, he is their secret weapon in that he's got a lot of circus-themed skills. And Patrick suggests that they speak gibberish for their performance. Also known as Dutch. Yeah, which is potentially offensive when you find out that him and Pepine are only going to speak Spanish. (laughs) It's a bit harsh, that man. (laughs) Patrick could have just used the language that they use from The Sims or the way that Piantas speak in Super Mario Sunshine. So Art manages to convince a local to take them to a nearby school... And school apparently normally finishes at half five at the earliest, but Arts wants to persist and go there anyway, despite Yan's protestations. Not a bad tactic, I have to say, going for schools. Yeah, that means a large group of people. Yeah, It's a large group of people, and also, the fact of the matter is, they're all going to adhere to peer pressure. If one wants to go, they'll all want to go. So you can get pretty large crowds just from that idea. And they're a large group of small people, since kids are a lot smaller, therefore you can squeeze more people into the square. And then you hope that El Salvadorian parents are wondering where their kids are, and will go to the town square as well. That's right, Miriana's teacher will explain it to them in English. Yeah, in a very enthusiastic way where he says one sentence at a time to them. And what do you say? Do you want to have somebody breathe fire on you? Do you want to potentially get third-degree burns? Yay! (laughs) Do you want to meet one of your Owen's friends? No! (laughs) Do you want to light that guy on fire instead? Yeah! (laughs) So Mariana and Karen also find a school to bother, and Mariana tells them that they could be on Dutch TV to get them to come. Horace then suggests that Anna and Jan could perform Romeo and Juliet. Sundos is doing something with cans. I don't think they ever actually specify properly. And Pepine and Patrick will be doing a clown act. She might be trying to grow flowers in those cans. Starts painting. This is the paint corner for the more artistic children. I'm doing can things. You're not listening to me. So Yan and Art arrive at their school, and Yan, being attractive, convinces a lot of the teenage girls to come to the performance. Yan arranges with the man for the kids to be let out ten minutes early. He doesn't trust Art at all, despite being friendly with him. That's kind of, that's a weird thing to do, where it's two grown men in an elementary school and one man asks the other, oh, what did you just ask that teacher in the elementary school? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. That's a secret. Yeah, keeping secrets at an elementary school is never a good idea. So whenever Marie reunites, Pepine immediately asks for the word for kerosene, 
and this will end well. Art and Yana then sent to a gas station to go and get it. At 5.30, the crowd is quite small, only about 100 kids. They should easily walk this challenge, given that I googled it, and Otako's population in 2006 was over 18,000. They only needed 500 people, and they have a potential pool of 18,000 in this town. I wonder how much... So it was 5 euros per person after 200, right? Yeah, up to a maximum of 2,500 euros. Oh, up to max. Oh, I see. It's not like the karaoke, Japanese karaoke challenge. Now, PEM specifically says 2,500 euros is the maximum for this challenge, and it works out mathematically that you need 500 people to get to uh, to get to the 2,500. So it's basically 5 euros each, but then the first 1,000 is all or nothing. Yeah. What's funny is uh, when they're performing Pepine and Patrick amuse the audience a great deal that they're they're laughing at everything Pepe and Patrick are doing. Then as soon as Horace comes out, not a single person is smiling or laughing. <laughs> well I was gonna get to this because they don't really reveal that Horace is doing a drag act until he pretty much comes on stage. And given your love of men dressing up as women on shows for your entertainment Saunders, I I immediately thought of you when that happened. <laughs> yeah, they're just like mm, I don't know about about just doing this for for laughs, just having Horace standing there in drag, not doing anything. Mm. I'm dressed in drag. And somehow it's, it's not the most obscene thing we get in this performance. Because for some reason, Papayan seems to think it's a good idea to fuck a blow-up doll behind a sheet. <laughs> so Hart begins the performance by asking them if they understand Dutch, and it falls predictably flat. Then it's Patrick and Pepine using only the word hola to communicate and being joined by Horace in drag. And while they're performing, Art goes to try and round up more people and at one point pushes a small child towards the square. Just drag kids and drag kids against their will. <laughs> there is one point where he physically pushes a small child towards the square. I mean, I guess if you shove a kid hard enough, as long as they land inside the square, it counts. All he needed was just somebody who's been really working out and just go shove, 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 shove. And you, and you don't have to push them as hard. Just ask Michelle. Yeah, good point. She knows all about moving children against their will, usually into a hole in the ground. Although I'm not sure it'd be very appropriate for them to get the, uh, the pressure hoses out. I mean, I'm not saying that Michelle invested in a fireman's hose just to push her children towards the Ebley in the garden, <laughs> but I'm often not not saying that. And if, if they don't go in, then she gets Horace to come over in drag. And then they yeah. go in to escape. Just starts running after them. From their point of view, it drowns out her shouting, shut up, you little shits, and get in the hole. They're just happy not to hear the abuse at that point, I think. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Michelle. <laughs> she doesn't listen to our podcast when she's not on them. And then we get my favourite bit of the entire performance, which is, of course, Anna and Yan doing Romeo and Juliet. Or, to be more precise, Anna running around the crowd, asking for Romeo, and all of the small boys going, Anna is hot, I want to say I'm Romeo. I love that they got Anna in, like, ugly makeup, and then Yan turns up in no costume at all. Yeah, Yan turns up cosplaying as Yan. <laughs> It's like one of those skits that you had to do in high school where it's like, okay, for the Shakespeare uh, unit, we'll split into groups and everyone acts out a scene from a play. 
Yan is clearly the kid who has no interest in theater whatsoever. It's zero effort cosplay, and it's hilarious. And then Anna takes it just a little bit too far and doesn't really know what she's doing. But the the best thing about this is, of course, the fact that everyone's trying to get Yan away from the square after they finish the challenge, and all of the kids are swamping him. <laughs> they start playing Beatles music. Yeah, they play She Loves You by the Beatles, which is such a brilliant editor's joke. Even Anna said it looked like Beatlemania. It is entirely what happened in New York when uh, when the Beatles flew over there for the Ed Sullivan show. And he's got the haircut for it. Well, exactly. Yeah. They got bumped in the streets, and he has the haircut for it. It's just a beautiful editor's joke. Yeah, he's John Lennon. So Peter Yan tells them that for a while only 170 people were watching them, but their final count was 228, meaning 1,140 euros of 2,500 for the challenge. I think production made a mistake. I think it was 227. Yeah, I didn't twig that, actually. You're right. It was 227. Was it like the roll call minigame from Mario Party 1 or 2, or the N64 ones, where they, uh, after the minigame is over, they show the Goombas walking one by one off screen so you can verify the count? Is that what they also did for the town square? I presume off camera there were some handlers of some description ticking people off. Love that they couldn't even get the girls away from Yan for long enough to have him present when they announced the results. They've just got to get Peter Yan to go over to the rest of the group and just sort of, you know, basically whisper it to them just because he, they can't get Yan. Yeah, and, and also the sheer amount of screaming behind him is drowning out him trying to do the wrap up and say you've earned 1,140 euros. And we're going to need that. We're going to need that money to bribe the girls to re- to let Yan go for the rest of the season. I don't think it's a coincidence that they've never done this sort of challenge again. No. It's a bit too reliant on the public cooperating, I think. Yeah. So when they arrive at their hotel room, they are split into rooms. Patrick volunteers to go solo, but Horace insists that he wants to. The pairs end up being Miriana and Karen, Anna and Sundos, Pine and Patrick, who both snore, Arsene Yan and Horace on his own. And they found it super suspicious that Horace was very adamant and grumpy in his pursuit to be alone in this challenge. Yeah, whereas we know that Horace was just very sleep deprived from having to sleep in a room with someone who snores constantly. Trust. No snoring. And as soon as they enter their rooms, they find a note on the bed saying that they will need to be outside in 15 minutes and will be communicating using only the television screens and cameras in their room. They cannot shout or use pen and paper to communicate, and they will earn 1,000 euros for the pot if they all escape, but they especially need to make sure that Horace escapes, or he will have to divide their luggage into two. Horace is locked into a room with their luggage, and a screen showing Arsene Yan, and he has a note with the location of Arsene Yan's key, which is under the bed, but it became clear that they couldn't see him. He therefore has no idea who can see him. I have it written as Artnian can see Anne and Soundos, Anne and Soundos can see Patrick and Pepine, Patrick and Pepine can see Karen and Mariana, Karen and Mariana can see Horace, Horace can see Artnian. Yeah, the closest challenge that we've had to this in recent memory is the weird moon crater challenge in Oregon, I'd say. Yeah, I was thinking about that challenge while this was going on. The walkie-talkie chain. Yeah. What was the time limit on that one? That was about 10 minutes, 10-15 minutes, something like that. This one has a few more consequences, I think is the best way to put it. (laughs) Because this one really causes a few fractures in the group. Well, A, they were 
they were pissed off that Horace went by himself and that he got to be in control of the luggage after pissing everybody off. Yeah. And no one could figure out the trick on how to communicate in this challenge. And that's largely attributed to the fact that the 15 minutes does not seem long at all. They were better off just turning the TVs off and tearing apart the room like Art and Yan did. Yeah, and like Horace ended up doing. They had 15 minutes to escape. I think nobody even realized like it was a five-way chain until about 13 minutes in. Yeah, what was it for Soundos and Anna? I think they had a 1 minute and 20 seconds left when they caught on to the whole point in the challenge. Yeah, it was Anna realizes with 2 minutes left that the person who could see them wasn't who they needed to give the information for. I think this challenge is barely achievable even if it's 30 minutes. I think it's barely achievable as soon as you put a mole in there to be honest. That's true. Cuz the, the moles just got to keep their partner for, or if they've got a partner from like realizing that you've got to pass the messages from person to person to person to person to get anything across. And if they're on their own, you're screwed anyway. Yes, in the pairings, really all you'd have to do is just kind of what Frederick did in Celebrity Mole Hawaii during the the underwater charades game, which is just throw out ideas or guesses for the challenge that are completely off so that the person is thinking along the same tra- wrong track as you are. And there's your 15 minutes right there, essentially. Or you can say, oh, maybe I do clue in with two minutes left because I know that won't be enough time for all the pairings to figure out what to do to communicate with one another. Yeah, and also the really easy sabotage here is to tear apart the room. And, of course, the mole will know where the key is and just pocket the key. Yeah, that too. I mean, pretty much every key was not visible to the cameras. Because you have Horace's in Art's bag, which would be very difficult to see because it's in one of the front pockets. So if he angles it away, then that's easy to hide. Miriana and Karen's is in the shower head, which is in the other room. Pepine and Patrick's is under the bathroom door. So you could just crouch by the bed and take the key straight away. And Anna and Sundos's is behind the bathroom mirror, which you couldn't see from the camera. It'd be funny if the mole accidentally dropped the key. Yeah, the the only one where it's actually visible on the camera is Art and Yan, with it being under the bed. And even then it's duct taped to the bottom of the bed, so you're never ever going to actually properly see it, unless you're looking for it. So Papine and Patrick decide to indicate that they've got the information for two women by pretending they have breasts. Always lovely to see that sort of clue. And Sundos and Anna get the showerhead clue, but don't realise that it isn't for them. Yan signals for Sundos after nine minutes, but Horace doesn't think that anyone can see him. And Karen says that it's suspicious that Horace insisted he was on his own. Miriana just doesn't believe that he could be the mole. And then everything falls apart. Everyone starts just searching their own rooms. Yeah, clearly, I assume with the Town Square challenge that the moles ask not to sabotage it since it's such a fun community challenge and just to see how well they could genuinely do. And But here... Clearly the mole did did something to ensure they performed as badly as they did. Yeah, the Town Square challenge was basically the same as the painting the bridge challenge in Georgia, where Jan just had a day off. He didn't want to sabotage it, he was just having fun messing with Olche mainly. I think it was probably the same with the Town Square challenge, where it was like, yeah, just see how many you can get, it'll be good fun. They're going to lose most of it when, when we lose bags anyway. And Horace lets out one of the more extreme F-bombs that we've heard in Vidim history once yeah. he realizes he has to divide up the luggage. 
Well, you never want to be in that position in the mall. Horace says it himself, like, the luggage game is quite infamous, but you don't want to be the one having to divide luggage because people will hate you. I wish Peter Yan would have just, he said, well, I told you, Horace, you have to divide this luggage in two, so here's this gigantic saw. Get to work. Yeah, we put a fire just next to one of the rooms. you got to throw four bags on there. Or do that too, yeah. I was thinking more just use a saw to divide each person's luggage in half. You've got to divide the luggage into two, but Sundas's bag is so big, you can have that one or you can have everybody else's. And Horace just picks the luggage of the women and his own. <laughs> yeah, how would you have dealt with that if you were in Horace's position? Everyone's going to hate you if you pick your own bag, especially when it contradicts your reasoning. If you say, oh, I'm a man, so I'm going to give all, I'm going to let the ladies have their luggage, but I'm going to keep my own too. He did it the worst way possible, really. Yeah, something I also have to point out after mentioning it last episode is that this challenge really couldn't have been adapted to eight people, which it would have been had Pepine not called for a group exemption in the first episode. So actually, the mole probably made it harder by the group exemption being in play, because they probably would have cut it down to four rooms if there wasn't a group exemption in the first episode. Yeah, that's true. And then the mole would have to work a little bit harder. Hmm. The other option is they just lock Peter Yarn in one of the rooms as well, and he can just find the boobs. Oh, Peter Yan should have taken part. They should have just let Horace have Peter Yan as a partner. He he does get a little bit of fun when he's sort of walking along the rooms at the end. He basically slams the door in Horace's face after he tells him about the luggage. And then sort of seems equally parts impressed and annoyed by Art and Yan finding their key. Peter Yan definitely has the vibe of he is the person who creates a lot of these challenges and is genuinely irritated when people beat them. Yeah. So the four leftover pieces of baggage can be bought for 500 euros a piece. And the women suggest- the women feel bad about Horace's logic to the other men in the group. So they just say, oh, you guys should just buy your suitcases back. And then Patrick <laughs> says, you ladies should shut up. <laughs> and Sundar says she's not sure whether they're in El Salvador or Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's a slight difference. <laughs> and to be fair, given Peter Yan's intro at the start of the season, neither's he. Mm. Between the Osama Bin Laden reference and this Afghanistan reference, uh, I don't know if it was in good a taste to record this on the anniversary of 9-11. So yeah, Sundos asks if it's El Salvador or Afghanistan, given the arguments, and they buy all four suitcases back, meaning they earn a minus 2,000 euros of 1,000 for the challenge, 140 of 5,500 for the episode, and 9,240 of 30,150 for the season so far. The mole had to have sabotaged the suitcase dilemma, because that's 2,000 euros being taken out of the pot. Who was it who asked whether they had to buy like all or nothing, or whether they could just buy one? I think it was art. Because I, uh, I did quite enjoy how Peter Yarn was like, no, you can buy as many as you want, but hurry the fuck up and make a decision already. <laughs> Yeah, I'm bored of you. Just get on with it. I have people to execute. <laughs> we have a test and execution. Yeah, we've got a long journey to this beautiful location for Horace to inevitably go home. So just hurry the fuck up a little bit, please. <laughs> but yeah, Patrick was swearing and screaming, and then Jan wanted to buy it back. And then I guess just in the chaos of the screaming and swearing, they said, screw it. Let's just buy all four and get this over and done with. 
To be fair, from Yan's point of view, he probably had a suitcase just full of hair products. I was about to say a suitcase full of hair gel. Yeah, he would have lost a lot had they not bought his uh, suitcase back. That's worth the 500 euros just to him. Yeah, just 500 euros in product. And Art and Pepine, out of everyone in the group, seemed to be the most pressured into agreeing to buy the suitcases. It was very odd where it was a 7-2 to two vote to buy them back. I think it goes back to what we've said about Art in the past, and Art is incredibly competitive. He will have seen the 500 euros penalty and gone, why am I going to spend my money just to get my clothes back? I'll get them back in a couple of weeks anyway. So I think it goes back to that, and I'm... And I don't know whether Pepine is nearly as competitive as Art. I suspect probably not. But that's definitely the logic for Art, is the fact that he's basically already written his own name on the check and he just doesn't want to spend his own money on a suitcase. But then when everyone else does, he's like, yeah, I might as well. Yep. So, it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows the least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Jan has three yokers and Art has two. The one thing I do have to point out on that note is the fact that This season, we really haven't had days shown on the screen. We don't know what day any of this is. And they've been quite good at hiding the yokers. It's been very difficult to keep a track of who has what yokers left, because they really haven't shown anyone playing them, apart from last episode. Yeah, they don't get brought up in confessionals too much, except for the Mm. test. A lot of the jokers were assigned to specific episodes as well, so there's not really any point bringing them up. Yeah, but like, both Yan and Art's yokers here were free yokers. They were any episode ones. And we haven't had any indication of how many either of them have played. The first we hear of them being mentioned is in this test. So presumably they both played them all, but we don't know for certain. We might find out next episode that they didn't. So Mariana says that the game is impossible to have any control over. She strongly suspects Karen, so we'll take her into account, and the rest is out of her hands. Anna's going for Karen, Art and Sundos. Sundas is on four people, but is starting to doubt that it could be Anna. Patrick is still her top suspect. She doesn't buy his emotion. Horace says that they are all equal. There are no exemptions or yokers, to which they immediately cut to Art, saying that he told everyone he used all his yokers on the last test, and he did not. He has two left. He has reservations about Patrick, and is suspicious of him. Jan still has three yokers, but nobody knows that, because he said he used them in episode one. Patrick thinks that it's strange that Papine is so fanatical, but messes up so much. He's not earned that much at all, and that's the main goal of being the mole. And Karen is 100% onto Horace. It's so stupid how obvious it is. Papine <laughs> disagrees. We see a lot of parrots. There's a lot of parrots. I don't know. Maybe that's it's gotta a, be clue. a clue. <laughs> Parrot, pa- Patrick, Papine, Peter Yan. I mean, if you ask Sundos, parrot sounds a lot like art. Parrot, parrot. It's art. Art. That's what I drew. I drew an art. I drew a flower. Power out sounds so much like art. It's a clue. A clue. It's a blues clues. A clue. A clue. So PTN says that in Tazimal, the Mayans held their ceremonies, and today one of them will be sacrificed to the great gods <laughs> yep. of them all. Dark, Peter Dark. He's so cheerful about it. How he's like, they used to sacrifice people here. Now it's your turn. Yeah. yeah. Now we'll kick your head down the stairs of this pyramid. In Mayan times, the blood of the virgins flowed through this site, and now it's time for some of your blood. 
Now it's time for your virgin blood, Pepine. So Patrick, Pepine, Sundos, and Yan all get green screens before the curse of Horace Cohen going in episode three begins. He was super nervous during this execution. Well, yeah, because most people, when they go home, have a, a broad sense that they may have messed up the test. And he really was worried in this test. He was very nervous. He, his people sometimes bite their fingernails. I think he was biting off his whole, his whole hand. I don't think it helped for him that Peter left until fifth. So it was, it was a nervous wait for him. Yeah, but I've never seen anybody just make that face and that level of nervousness in execution before. They should have strapped a heart monitor to him. And Karen was weirdly thrilled when he got executed. Yeah, given that she really screwed up. <laughs> she basically put everything on Horace, and it was so obvious that it was him. So Karen was so sure that she was in the finale already with how obviously molish Horace was being, and PTN then rubbed salt into the wound by telling him that he lost on time, which doesn't help at all. And apparently, he was completely wrong. Yeah, Peter Yan told him he was slow as hell on that test. So next time, everyone comes down with a crash before revealing information to each other in exchange for Yokas. Patrick and Art solidify their alliance before a high-flying challenge and Karen being on her deathbed. So do you want to eulogise Horace? Um... I, I was going to, but then, like, like the editors, I'm worried it might just have a random shot of Pepine in it for no reason. So, when this season aired, did people think, wow, Horace really needs to come back and play again? I don't know. I don't think it's really in the Dutch psyche to go, oh, yeah, this person immediately needs to come back, like it is in America, or in Australia, or in Canada. Or uh, hashtag Horace for second chances. I don't think he would be anyone's top choice from this season. Despite him, of course, coming up with trust nobody. So that is the only reason why he was brought back, as for saying, trust nobody. Oh, yeah. 100% it is. He basically built a a personal brand on being the trust nobody guy. He has a freaking podcast named after him. Well, yeah. I would say there are definitely better choices from this season to come back for Renaissance. But the problem is, if you picked all of my choices to come back, you probably would have an all-female cast. <laughs> so you do actually have to bring some guys back. I mean, from this season, there are at least two or three women I would have brought back over Horace. Oh, yeah. Did they make the Trust Nobody thing an even bigger deal by auto-tuning it on one of the Vidim pages? Did it go viral on YouTube? Yeah, they got the Gregory Brothers to do a remix of it, and uh, and it went viral. You can run and tell that, run and tell that, homeboy, home, home, homeboy. But yeah, I don't think I, I don't think anyone was clamoring for Horace to come back. Horace is a perfectly lovely bloke, and if somehow he ever hears this, then yeah, he was a perfectly lovely bloke. I don't think anyone was clamoring for him to come back. He did basically come back on the name recognition from the Trust Nobody clip, which is weirdly a, an absolute blink and you'll miss it thing in the three episodes. They just make it a thing this season and then it disappears for a few years and then comes back. He wasn't a terrible choice to come back for Renaissance. He just wasn't a brilliant one either, especially as he does basically the same thing over and over again. It's more impressive because he gets brought back nine years later. It's Hmm. a bit of a time gap for production to be thinking, hey, you know that Horace guy? The guy that 
you know, and all kept the women's suitcases on his own, then got executed and dressed in drag in front of a bunch of school children while performing Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that guy we want. He's a nobody, but he's a fun nobody. I am nobody. <laughs> so, Saunders, what were your suspicions this week? Uh, Anna's number one. She was in a lot of... She was one of the main people to push for the suitcases to be bought. And she did terrible at figuring out what the challenge was supposed to be in the hotel. And then which group was she in for the Beatrix and Mural challenge? She took charge of the Mural. She took charge of the Mural. Oh, okay. And the Mural one was the side of the group that didn't earn any money. So Ever is my number one suspect. And then she was close to Hannah as well, so you got to assume that Hannah didn't suspect Anna. And then Mariana, there's that quote with Sound when Soundgoss says, hey, I'm going to eat my bed if Mariana's the mole. So I feel like that would be a great editor's joke by the end of the season if she turns out to be the mole. And they'll just bring a bed out of the reunion. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's like the I was. It's like in Survivor Caramon where you hoped they brought out a rock for Francesca to eat. And it, it turns out if you eat enough of it by the end of the reunion, you'll see there's like they've put an exemption inside. Number three is Karen, because is this all an act with how useless she is at every challenge? Or is she really that useless at every challenge? Number four, I've got Pepine. I just can't quite get a good read on him, because he seems like a guy who wouldn't be suspicious, but as was it art was it art that said that he that pepine is screwing up a lot uh patrick who was patrick yes and then patrick i have number five because everyone keeps talking about how they suspect patrick and then art intentionally made patrick sabotage certain things so it seems way too obvious for patrick to be the mole number six is sound because of how hilarious she is it's tough to picture her as a mole and number seven is Yen because he's always there when money is earned. He seems like quite the team player. So if he ends up being the mole, I'm very curious to see what discreet sabotages he pulled off to undermine his own successes over the first three episodes. Interesting. Hmm. That's all you guys can react each time. Yeah, we, we can't say anything, which is great. Hmm. No, quite. Yeah, now when we were doing... Hong Kong and Philippines, I had to stop myself from bursting into laughter every time you put Susan right at the bottom. Yeah, we had those chats. Yeah, like I had to turn my microphone off one week because I just couldn't do it anymore. There was at least one episode where we'd finished recording and me and Bindles were chatting about it afterwards and he's like, he still has no idea. This is getting really very funny now. I can't actually keep it in anymore. Because <laughs> I think there was one bit where I actually had to cut you sniggering in the background. I could hear it, but Saunders didn't. I promise you will be able to get this one by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, this one's a less subtle one. Well, I know it's not art. That improves my odds. You guys got anything else you want to say? No, I'm good. Nope. Cool. In that case, thank you for listening to our VS to Mall 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mall in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsquacky, Bindles is a Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week.
Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. I gotta go. Jan has promised to show me his winkle.